It's like the antithesis of Kafka. Not Kafka, the uh, messaging product, but Kafka, the author, you know. What's up, ZB Nation? It's your boy, Josh Wolf, coming at you live from the internet from Brisbane, Australia. And this week I'm speaking with Jesse von Mouden in the Netherlands. And did I get it right that time, the pronunciation of your name, Jesse? Yeah, perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for uh, calling in in your day. And it's kind of uh, in the evening over here. It's great that you could make it work. And yeah, look, I was really uh, impressed and inspired by the the project that you shared that you've been creating with Zebian. You have a a YouTube video. Is that the, and that's publicly available, right? That anyone can take a look at that. Yes, that's right. Yesterday we uh, made the code publicly accessible. And it's not really perfect in the sense of a full fledged open source project. We're already doing new developments. On top of that, and while well, everyone is now invited to also just use that code and uh, build their own awesome solutions with it, hopefully. So yeah, awesome. And your your solution is in the area of like open governance. Is that how you describe it? How we describe it precisely is we're developing conversational uh, piece of software that helps to improve the transparency of algorithms for granting welfare benefits and possibly also other government regulations. So transparency of algorithms is the key takeaway. And what is it about it that um, makes it transparent? Is, the, is it the fact that it's encoded in a BPM diagram? Yes, exactly. So uh, we're leveraging uh, a BPMN as well as DMN to yeah, make it as clear as possible for policymakers as well as civilians, residents, but also for technicians, how these decisions are being made, whether uh, someone is eligible for certain benefit or not. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of like the, the value proposition of BPMN you know, one of them is that it puts business and IT on the same page. And in this case, business in this domain is like the government, right? And the government regulations. Yeah, it's quite rewarding to um, uh, be working on that as a software developer. What we're focusing on is really using BPMN and DMN as a unified language for everyone. So no matter what their specialization or their perspective for situation is. So for civilians, government officers, technicians, politicians, everyone. And we have seen several uh, successful implementations of uh, Kamunda and Zibi around us, also in, in larger organizations. The tendency that we see is that, well, it's mainly used for technical purposes and re really like technical microservice orchestration. And it's easy to lose track of this yeah, huge advantage of BPMN, uh, which is to make processes transparent for everyone. And where does your organization sit? Are you like a consultancy or are you part of the government or? Uh, we're currently uh, working in a program organization linked to the Ministry of uh, Social Welfare. Okay, so this is like a project-based kind of thing. Yeah, you could say that. So there's this larger government program aimed at the innovation of processes of uh, the exchange of data 
across uh, government systems. And we are one of the project team in the co greater context of that program. You'd seen Komunda, you'd seen maybe even ZB in larger organizations being used. And had you ever used it personally before? Uh, no, actually not before I started on this uh, project. Okay. And so how, how did you find out about it? Well, the idea comes from our project manager, Mark Minet. He was already breeding on this plan to uh, leverage ZB. Yeah, an important reason to choose for ZB is uh, its scalability by design. In the Netherlands, there have been uh, some problems with the national emergency phone systems since 2012, when that system actually went down for a couple of hours every time. And it was due to issues with the backup systems not being connected and stuff like that. And well, we're taking that as an example, really, of how we want to well, prevent that from happening with a, a newly developed system by choosing uh, technology for our infrastructure to be uh, scalable by design. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because a, a government obviously has a huge number of users, potentially, you know, every at least adult in the country. So in terms of like a business and a customer base, like those, those are probably the, the largest possible, you know, scale of solutions. We had a, an issue that happened here in Australia with the census. Oh, we're going to do the census. We're going to do it all online. It's going to be great. They got, I don't know, a $20 million solution or something developed by a, an IT, a large you know, global IT consultancy. And then on the actual night of the census, the whole thing crashed became a big thing. It was hashtag census fail. They just had never tested it at that kind of scale, that many requests in that short period of time, because they had to have everyone in the country do the census all at the same time. And uh, afterwards, some uh, university students at a hackathon built a an implementation of it using AWS lambdas and were like, yeah, this thing could could have scaled up to that kind of scale but i'm not sure exactly what kind of technology they were using behind it but with your solution citizens applying for social welfare benefits so i'd imagine that you'd have a lot how many people do you have there in the netherlands well it's hard for me to come up with an exact number right away also because we are focusing on uh, pilots within municipalities so there's the municipal government uh, which is our basically entry layer, but we already see well challenges with integrating municipal regulations with national regulations, for example, and also data sources. Is that like because they have different criteria? Yeah, or just different uh, data sources to begin with, or uh, by law, uh, municipalities may be required to uh, maintain their own copies of actual source data. There might be completely different regulations uh, to begin with, which are related. For example, if you know that someone is eligible already or has been granted a certain national uh, welfare benefit, that might already be a predicate uh, that can be used to uh, determine right away without asking for more uh, personally identifiable data that someone is eligible for uh, a regulation or a benefit on the municipal level. But of course, these systems all have to talk together and stuff, but the numbers uh, vary uh, by municipality. Municipalities can have thousands of um, people in uh, social welfare, of course. But 
as soon as when the system we are currently building becomes successful, we can, of course, also leverage it for more generic regulations, maybe also for census or uh, maybe even uh, voting systems, whatever you can imagine. And then we will have to scale this up to uh, the 17 million people, basically. But that's... Yeah, actually, from an engineering point of view, we are in uh, an ideal situation here because the problem we are facing regarding scalability is determined. Like the maximum number of people uh, simultaneously using our system is 17 million. More. Yeah, it's a known factor. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a big number, but at least it's known. And uh, on the other hand, we're uh, starting off with pilots on a small scale. So in one municipality, for example, with only a sample of the target audience. So we're really starting off with these uh, applications and similar ones that we are uh, testing and piloting with, say, 100 people. We're also uh, investigating what's the minimal setup uh, we need. For example, we uh, may not at all have to leverage the Kubernetes uh, solutions ready made for uh, for zb yet right until you need them exactly so uh, yeah we're that also forces us to dress everything down and with the minimal number of contain containers see how it runs we're building applications on top of zb but then again because of the way we are working with it experimentally we're also getting close to uh, the internals here and there and well you know, we have to pull it apart and see what we're working with. How does it work? And that's why, yeah, sometimes we stumble up upon these uh, core issues or bugs or feature requests, maybe, which is quite interesting. And, uh, well, maybe a good moment to also thank the whole community. Like the Slack channel, super active, has been super helpful for me to just re uh, develop rapidly on top of CB and just... Uh, yeah, remove impediments and share knowledge. That's been a great experience. Awesome. And like, Leah, let's get technical about this. So you're building it on top of ZV and then what, what are you, you're using DMN, uh, using BPMN, obviously. And then what are you writing your application code in? Uh, in uh, JavaScript a lot, um, but we're also uh, using and tweaking the, uh, the DMN service worker in Java, for instance, and uh, we're using the, uh, the the Kafka exporter, which is also uh, partly implemented in Java, I think. Uh, so a lot of Java, JavaScript. Uh, we're currently using um, Vue.js and Vueify uh, framework frontend. And uh, so you're using both the JavaScript and the Java clients for ZB? Yes. Okay. And how do you find, because I was thinking about this today, there's like a a real philosophical difference between the two of them. Like the, the Java client uses like a builder pattern. And then in the JavaScript client, it's a more kind of like an object oriented kind of approach. We're just going about it pragmatically. And um, basically both approaches are like uh, completely, you know, fit for the for the landscape you would be using them in so for example on the javascript side we're uh, hosting this um, uh, node.js express uh, rest api to uh, to instantiate workflows and uh, to post um, input 
like to post messages into running workflow instances uh, from the users. And there, the beauty is that everything's really just simple. And uh, the on the Java side, it's more, it's a bit more, um, yeah, wordy. Like uh, the the code you would have to be using to, uh, yeah. But that's Java, right? Yeah. So what would you? So it's kind of like it's idiomatic for. Okay. Yeah, I can get that. So. I guess if I put the two clients side by side, they look different. But when you put them in the context of the other yeah. kind of, uh, like you say, the landscape that they sit in, then they, they sit naturally yeah. in, in each of those ecosystems. Yeah, definitely. For me, it's just uh, completely intuitive to work with. And for example, working with the Java DMN worker uh, helped me to understand like how the values you would input in your, uh, in your modeler application uh, as what kind of types these are being parsed and so on, because yeah, uh, as strings or as, uh, for some, sometimes you would uh, find a string true, for example, in uh, one of your DMN tables. And then, yeah, how is this parsed huh. as a string or, or a Boolean and all then there, the, the Java client will help you out to, to easily debug. Uh, how it works internally if you don't if you're not ready to immediately dive deep into deeper into the source code yeah and speaking of types so you know you got like a, a strongly typed language in java and then optional typing with with the typescript for the javascript one but then when when that data actually goes into the the broker it's it's untyped there so are you like, do you have strong typing on the boundaries, like interfaces, I guess in, in the, on the Java client that's enforced, right? But with the JavaScript client, it's quite loosely typed. True. Yeah. In this pilot stage, we have been just uh, trying to set something up really quick and we didn't pay a lot of attention to validation uh, and things like that yet. Do you guys use like an agile kind of approach or is it how, how? agile super <laughs> beyond agile okay. yeah we're using beyond agile <laughs> yeah we're so agile that sometimes we just you know uh we might even drop some agile principles to be uh even more uh yeah quicker to market uh than having certain uh process overhead no, it kind of depends on the project. We're running uh, many different uh, projects, some uh, blockchain-based project, for example, and you name it. And depending on the scope of uh, those projects, we might use either a Kanban approach or a, a Scrum approach or just a, a waterfall approach, even if it's if it's more applicable also to the to the client municipality that we're working with what's their preferred way of working. Maybe they, they need to do a full audit uh, beforehand based on their policies before we can even uh, put anything on their servers or it kind of depends. But most uh, most of all, we just want to uh, be fast, develop fast so we can learn uh, quickly and have a, have a short feedback loop mm. and uh, <clears throat> yeah, and go from there. Yeah, that's great. And then I guess you kind of just treat the um, the interface with the with the broker like a REST interface, right? Because you, you don't know what's coming over the wire from a, a REST get or a, a post request. And then in the same way, your your bro your workers are calling 
you know, getting jobs down from, from the broker and then they're going to get what they get. Yeah. So exactly. that, it's kind of like a rest. Well, it's saying that would be a bit confusing maybe because we're actually, um, uh, leveraging the exporters to get data out of the workflow engine. We're only using that, uh, that API layer to just, yeah initiate processes for example and uh post into uh into uh, stabilized workflow instances for example when they're waiting for uh for a message okay so, so you have a rest front end and then you have your workers they're obviously polling over grpc for their tasks and then you're yes. actually getting the outcomes of the workflows via the exporter yeah via the uh, kafka exporter currently and uh, then we have a, a separate um, Node.js uh, socket server that has a Kafka.js client. Also, thanks uh, to the Kafka.js community on Slack for the support, who subscribes to the uh, relevant Kafka topics uh, that um, the exporter publishes to. And then right away, like the, we don't need all the events on the front end, of course, all, only like, okay, the message catch uh, event is now activated. Um, so um, the next step for the application is to, well, wait for this kind of input, this this kind of variable, or like um, uh, the, the workflow is now finished, it has terminated in this state with a final result of well, uh, not granted or granted the uh, uh, the benefit, and uh, so yeah, it's, uh, the Node.js socket server gets the event, the raw events uh, from uh, the Kafka store that CB uh, exports uh, the events to, filters it, and then pushes it over a socket connection to the browser, and that's that's the loop basically with the, that we created. Um, that's aside. such a cool solution. Thank you. And, and yeah. like, it's, it's like super innovative. It's like using like super modern technologies, like the latest stuff. And it's in government. It's like a real unusual kind of mix, you know, cause normally you think of government, you think of like really behind the times, super conservative, big monolithic applications using, you know, last decades technology. And you guys are really pushing the envelope. Is it like a, I don't know, is it like a, a Netherlands thing? Uh, well, in some domains, I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a tradition uh, to be uh, always on the forefront of innovation. But yeah, as a, as a Dutch resident, you know, I know it's not the case in all domains. But yeah, this is my first project for the government. And I'm, yeah, I'm really surprised that there's so much room for innovation right off the bat for me. And I'm really proud actually of the, of the country uh, facilitating this. Yeah, wow. Rightly so. We're using BPMN and the idea behind it is that it's easy to understand for everyone. But one of the one of the very strict requirements of our program is that we shouldn't introduce too many new technologies that people would need training for to be able to work with it. And yeah, BPMN, even though it's quite intuitive, it would still require training for most people to really effectively utilize it. We're looking at options to maybe abstract out the core elements of uh, certain uh, BPMNs and DMNs and how to present those 
with different grades of complexity, for example. Yeah. Yeah, because you have, um, I mean, for a, for a business domain user, there, there might be some very technical implementation details, right, in that BPMN where they're like, I don't know, you can you put technical tasks in there that are related to the orchestration of the particular microservice architecture that you're using. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, we're also constantly focusing on trying to uh, prevent that and to resist that temptation of going into that, for example... In our discussions with uh, municipalities who want to uh, do pilots and, for example, catch some of their regulations in uh, in this BPMN flow, we get feature requests of like, yeah, but in the current uh, process, people have to submit this file and then can we also do that um, in your uh, BPMN flow? And our first reaction was, for, well, well, let's see if we can do it. But, of course, maybe we should actually push back against it because it's the old way of thinking and the way we're trying uh, to set up user interaction with uh, with this government system is that the people themselves are in control of their own attributes of their own data uh, about them and they can decide whether they want to share it or not so what does this mean in relation to having to upload a document well people get this kind of document as some sort of artifact proving that maybe they completed some form of education, for example. Mm. Um, But the fact that they get this artifact means that someone else is controlling uh, the data that everyone trusts about who uh, actually completed which kind of education and got uh, which diplomas. What we should focus on, perhaps, at least that's our vision, is how to get that uh, proof of someone's diploma in the control of the person. The blockchain. Well, that's one option, yeah. And that way uh, we can completely obliterate this need to, uh, to shove documents around and do paperwork but we can just add the step of uh, sharing your attribute about about your diploma with the BPMN. So rather than having in the flow like a, um, you know, uh, require, you know, tell the user to upload this document and then having like a message catch event for them uploading the document while you just let it flow all the way through. And then it's just like, Oh, Hey, it's missing this thing that we require for it. And then you just output to the user saying, Hey, you'll need to provide something before we can process this uh, request. Yeah, exactly. And so keeping uh, the BPMNs for this application, at least, I mean, for other applications, it might not be uh, required, but for what we are developing, I think it may help if we just focus on really keeping uh, the BPMNs simple and elegant so everyone will continue to be able to understand them. Right. And then also it's kind of future-proof, right? Because the You've, yeah, you, as you say, you've stripped it down to its essence rather than the particular implementation details at a point in time. Exactly. And we're also trying to work with BPMN and ZB in such a uh, generic and uh, clean way that we can actually just abstract stuff out and uh, reuse it. Was that someone from your team asking about the element templates for the modeler? Uh, yeah, the BPN model uh, stuff. Yeah, that, that was me, actually. 
Oh, that was you. Okay, it was someone from your team yeah, then, namely you. <laughs> I was like, wow, man, like the element templates thing would be perfect for this. Okay, yeah. that's why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, that well, makes sense. The, what the policymakers want to focus on is just what what's the input that we require for this part of the decision process for this step? Well, it's someone's income, and we have this these three rules. If you're uh, earning too much, like above this threshold, you're not eligible. You don't get it. Uh, if you're earning less, then you're definitely eligible. And uh, the default case would be maybe, and their uh, next step would follow. Th there's not really more than that to each decision step. So you could keep it really simple like that and keep it really easy to present to anyone. Also, uh, digitally challenged people, for example, instead of having these yeah, increasingly technical steps with uploading and whatever you can imagine. Mm. And how, and that's a great example, you know, the, the element templates thing for the modeler, because that's not from what I can see from GitHub in the near term future, but it is something that I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, they would merge it in as a pull request. How have you found it working with ZB, like in terms of like, um, the responsiveness to like change requests or to resolving issues on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the kind of rate of change of it, cause it's, it's quite, you know, the, it's been rapidly iterating and innovating over time. How have you found both of those? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, in general, very good. There has been only one time during my development process that I had some versioning and update uh, compatibility issues with some uh, dependent uh, projects that were also just open source and maintained by, by different people, not necessarily uh, associated with Komunda itself. I'm not sure, but uh, once I raised this issue, people were, were very proactive is the word i'm looking for with f finding out what the core of my problem was and then finding the best solution and then well implementing that immediately like within a day and then i was good to go again it was really great especially in this uh, 0.21 and before stage of the product definitely uh, kudos to that and as i explained yeah i was just thrown into the whole ZB thing because Mark already like came up with the plan and then found me to actually execute it. <laughs> He's like, guys, this is the future. Exactly. This is the future of democracy. This is the future of technology. We're going to put them both together. Yeah. It's going to be magical. Let's use this and build that, please. And uh, let's uh, make this revolution happen. So yeah. yes. we're getting there, I think, really. This could be a revolution for government, these systems like this. Oh, it's like the antithesis of Kafka, right? Like not Kafka, the uh, messaging product, but Kafka, the author, you know, the, the Czech German author who would write those books about those bureaucracies where people like are the trial. I always remember the guy gets arrested. He's put on trial. He's never told what he's being um, charged with. He's never told about how the court process or anything works. And then finally, at the end of the book, he gets taken out into the woods and executed, you know, and you like read the whole book and you're like, what is going on? This is like the complete antithesis of that. Yeah. Hand in hand with the transparency of the algorithms, we're also giving control back to the people. It's not like, okay, just post your uh, personal identification number into our system or authenticate. 
and we have all your data and we'll do some magic and then we'll let you know if you can get something from the government. But I think it's really cool that the government is actually funding this program. Well, massive kudos to you and to the team, Yessa, for, the, for, for what you guys have produced in such a short space of time. And I'm excited to see what the future of both your project and product and the future of Dutch democracy looks like. Yeah, we'll keep you up to date.